so much for joining us today on the Hope Cast, where each week or so, we will bring you hope-filled comeback stories and conversations that will help you radically change your life. We are your hosts here, Allie and Lance Lang. And Lance is my co-host for the day. Oh, We're really? Very I'm the co-host today. To have him back in the seat, in the saddle. I've of never podcasting, left. If you will. I love that you did the opening today. Good job. People want to hear more of my voice. They find it soothing. You know, critics and fans alike say more Allie. They want more Allie in the pod. This is not surprising. You know. That's um, kind of consistent with the rest of our lives as well. More Allie. Well, that's actually very sweet of you. Well, it's true. Everywhere I go, I'm just talking about you. That's a little strange. What are you saying about me? Just that you're, you know, the creator of our program, that you oversee 19 homes and 190 plus residents in our online program that's thriving and growing and helping a lot of people, and that you're just a, an incredible, inspirational figure to a lot of people. Wow. And you're smoking hot. Thank you. This episode of the Hopecast will end now. <laughs> while Wrapping I, it up. While I make out with my husband. Very oh. good. The Hopecast is brought to you by Hope is Alive. HIA has 19 intentional next level sober living homes in six, count it, six cities across three states and provides community-based support groups called Finding Hope for loved ones of addicts and alcoholics as well with 15 physical locations of Finding Hope and an online presence. You can find out all about Hope is Alive at Hope is Alive live.net and more about finding hope at findinghope.today. Well, today we've got a great guest with us. He is a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. He is on the executive leadership team at Hope is Alive. He is an alumni of the program. He's just an all-around great guy, everybody's favorite person. And really, honestly, you forgot something. What did I forget? He is the best dancer in HIA history. Best dancer. Definitely check out HIA's YouTube. Go down to, uh-huh. um, what's that J- Justin Timberlake song we redid? Oh, gosh. Can't, Can't stop, stop that feeling. feeling. Can't stop the yeah. feeling. Fast forward it, and you'll see this guy dancing. He was also the Easter Bunny in Hydro, Oklahoma, for many years running mm-hmm. um, around, I guess, the Easter. You guys do a parade out there or something? Like 10 years. Yeah. Mm. He also 10 has years. A, a love of floss. Big flosser, super clean freak, and the director of development at Hope is Alive. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hopecast, Blake Wheeland today. Good to be with you guys, Lance and Allie. I knew that the dancing was going to come up. I just didn't realize it was going to be in the first three. This is when I wish it was a video podcast because we would have you try to... Actually, Allie does a great impersonation of you doing that dance. Uh This is where I'm very glad that it's not the video podcast actually uh we'll like, release it on instagram on our instagram the dance is almost like there's a bee attacking you and you're trying to swat it away mm. yeah I but think it's on I've, your back i was going for the uh what, what's it called is it the carlton is that the one <laughs> the reverse carlton yeah maybe. the reverse carlton and it failed miserably i remember uh one of my housemates at the time telling me that that's what i needed to do for the video because i told him i couldn't dance everybody kept saying yeah you can yeah you can that, that guy was not your friend. No, it turns out that I really cannot. I think they all believe me now. Well, there's a few weddings coming up, so I'm excited to see how you do at those weddings. I'm sure Allie will point some fingers at you and draw and some attention. I think it's because of that video that I now have anxiety at weddings now. Oh. So thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. I actually hired a videographer to follow you around oh, all night. Oh, wonderful. 
<laughs> well, we've got a lot to talk about and share with Blake. He's got a, a really amazing story, and we do know each other very well. And and Allie and I and Blake have done a lot of life together over the years. And Blake's been a, a huge part of the growth of Hope is Alive. Been on staff for coming up on how many years? Three years in November. And a couple years in the program before that. So That's right. out of the seven years, have been a, a part and around the program for five of those years. And I think there's no doubt that the growth that we've been able to experience uh, through God's favor, but also aligns with Blake uh, being a part of our team and a part of our, our family. So we love you and we're proud of you. And we certainly thank you for spending some time with us. But you're also, as I would tell you early on, a filthy, dirty alcoholic, right? Remember that? That is correct. Yes. Tell was... the folks why I would tell you that. I think, well, I think, because it was true, first of all, but I think to stay grounded and to stay, you know, in that new, fresh humility that you have on, you know, your your 60th or 90th day of sobriety, um, you know, I, I think to when you were telling me that, it was to hopefully get that to stick, you know, mm-hmm. so that now it's where I am today, coming up on five years, um, you know, I still remember that I can be right back there in a heartbeat. That's right. I think yeah. what happens for a lot of people, and man, we're coming off of COVID and so many people that are struggling, is that you get clean and sober, and sometimes for many of us, life can come back looking good really quickly. Yes. And get physically back up where we need to be, and we're in the gym, and life's good, and people are proud of us because we got 30 days or 60 days, but there's so much more work under the surface, and as soon as we physically feel good or we're starting to get some compliments, we kind of think that we've got this thing licked. Mm-hmm. And the next thing we know, we're a few decisions away uh, from being right back where we were, but oftentimes even lower than we were because this is a progressive disease. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think uh, there's one of our recent alumni in a video that we have, an HIA video, that talks about that. It's mm-hmm. my favorite part of that video is he talks about that's the trap he would fall into. You know, you would um, be at your lowest of low, get sober, and then get a little bit of time under your belt. And soon, not only do you start forgetting how bad it was, everybody around you does too. And it's kind of like you start believing, believing, oh, well, I can live that life. I really wasn't that bad. And you're just back at that trap time after time after time. And I fell into that several times. So, What do you do to fight it? Um, I mean, stay in the center of the program. You know, I, I, my, my very first sponsor and, and you guys as well, I mean, talk so often about as long as you're staying in the middle of the program, it's hard to fall off the edge. That's right. You know, the closer you get to the edge, it just takes, you know, maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's a, a bad week at work. Maybe it's a financial scare. And all of a sudden you're you're in front of the liquor store again and you're just, it, it doesn't take much. But if you're in the middle of the program, you can kind of weather the storms that life throws at you and um, not wind up where you were before, if that makes sense. So yeah, staying engaged, staying in the middle, staying close to those that have been around me um, since I started this deal. Well, you can hear from Blake's smooth voice hmm. that he is a uh, a good-looking, polished guy, but it what didn't always look like that, right? No. We talked already a little bit about your program of recovery, but I'd like to like start a little further back and talk about really... Um, what life was like for you growing up and maybe um, when you took that first drink Mm -hmm. and what that did to you and how you knew maybe you were a little bit different than others. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so it really, um, starting up, growing up in Hydro, Oklahoma, I mean, we were, had a great childhood. And two loving parents, three older sisters, which is like having four mothers. Um, you know, I always talk about how you know, I make the joke. That's why I became an alcoholic. It's not. I love my sisters. Um, they were fantastic. Had a wonderful childhood. We lived 50 yards from the Baptist church where mom played the organ. Dad was a deacon. And I mean, I was a good kid. We were good kids. Never saw, never saw drugs, not even alcohol in our homes growing up. I've still never seen either one of my parents drink. So it wasn't a part of our life at all. Um, looking back on it in hindsight, you know, I, I always thought I kind of had my, uh, you know, my own faith and my own foundation until the first scenario came along where that was tested. And it was quickly evident that I didn't have that. And for me, that was college, you know, going from a community of 900 people to a community of 60,000, right? It seems small compared to Oklahoma City, but for me, that was huge. And you've got, you know, tens of thousands of young, um, you know, 18 and 19 year olds up there. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I am no longer the handsome one, the most funny one in the room, the most intelligent one in the room. I don't know what I want to do with my life. It's just like college drew out all of the insecurities in me, whether I knew it, I had them or not, but it, it just seemed to kind of highlight them. So the first time in October of uh, my freshman year, that fall semester, when I was offered a drink, I was offered a drink many times. When I finally accepted the offer, I fell in love with it. I remember that very first night, remember remembering the feeling and walking into the home that the party was at and thinking to myself back then, even in, in 2010, this is why people drink alcohol you know after 19 years I finally realized that this is why they do it it's the feeling Um, because I felt great you know and and you kind of that's appealing to you so Mm -hmm. that's where it started for me people always ask you know were you an alcoholic from the first drink I I don't know the answer to that I know one thing that happened for sure though it it opened up a a pretty wide door for me uh, to walk back through there again and from that first night, it was like, well, I've done it before. I can do it again. Mm-hmm. And all my peers and everybody around me said the same thing. And so it was like, well, Blake's kind of a drinker now. Blake's a partier now. And I kind of adopted that title and ran with it. You know? Rebel without a cause. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. I no, thought. I, th- I think it's that's a really a consistent thing for most people like us. I, I know the first time I smoked weed, I got up the next day and I wanted to do it again. Oh yeah! Like I, I was ready. Um, like let's let's go, let's do this again. Did it feel that way for you? Totally. I always um, mention. I like to share kind of the next morning of what it looked like waking up after that party. Um, my pickup was a stick shift pickup, and I'm ashamed to say I had driven it home and it had fallen out of gear and ran into a building out in the parking lot. My shirt was ripped. I had cut my arm, I had vomited all over myself, and I remember waking up just in my own filth, not even, I think in my roommate's bed, I had crushed my phone, ruined my phone, not knowing where my keys were, and amidst all of that chaos, instantly thinking, I cannot wait to do that again. And that's kind of the analogy of, you know, the consequences there, it just, 
it didn't matter. It was a, a lot of people would say that's a rough first night. Sure, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, yeah, it was. I remember. I only remember really one thing of that night, and it was uh, I was talking to a girl on this porch, and I stuck my hands in my pockets and I went to take a step back, and I fell off of this elevated porch, and dented a steel trash can with my face. <laughs> I remember that. Wow. And I just remember you could hear the proverbial like ooh. Like, yeah, the radio stopped and it was dramatic. But. One of those old redneck comedians would that was like their tagline was "There's your sign." Yeah, right? like, yeah. You have a lot of "There's your signs." A ton. Like in that one story yeah. the first time in the first f- four hours. Yeah. So I know a little bit of the story. We'll kind of fast forward a touch. I mean, you go through four years, right, of, of college. That's right. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and so I mean, you're you're dealing with that. Every night, every weekend, do you pick up some consequences along the way, or you know, what's the, what's college like for you if that's your first first party? We talk about the trap. Um, I'd be a liar if I didn't say it was fun for a little while. Um, you know, for for two of those four years, everything was great. I was doing better in my college courses than I ever did in high school. Um, I kept having these leadership opportunities that were thrown my way that I people kept saying yes to and got a few internships. I mean, it was just, and from my parents, you know, from 135 miles away, it was like, great job, Blake, keep going, you know? And I just thought, this is wonderful. You can, you can network, you can climb the social ladder, you can make good grades all while getting drunk every night, you know? And I was kind of good time Blake, you know, I'd never turn down a party, host as many parties as I could, always be there. Um, that's a great nickname for you, by the way. Good time, Blake. Yeah, I was go with that one for a while. And it was it was a blast until it wasn't one day. Um, you know, I remember in uh, I'll share a little bit about that, but I'm very good with dates, and I, I remember not. It was like I had no consequences, and then all of a sudden I was in Washington D.C. doing an internship, and the 17th of June in, in 2013, I. Woke up that morning in my bed. I had gone to a Washington Nationals game and gotten drunk with some friends. Nothing out of the ordinary. And I woke up that next morning and stood up out of bed, and it was just it was like the, the floor had fallen out from underneath me. I couldn't hardly breathe. My hands were shaking. I mean, I felt like I was about to pass out. And I didn't know that at the time that was, you know, the beginning of some alcohol withdrawal. Mm. And found out later that day at 5 o'clock that if I had, a you know, three or four mixed drinks, glasses of wine, uh, it would go away. And so I kind of went on chasing that, if you will, and that's kind of how it started. I always told people, you know, the summer of 2013, I left Oklahoma one person and came back a totally different one in the, the, the worst way possible. I, always, my, I remember my family being at the airport to pick me up, and you can almost see the smile wiped off of their faces as I approached them and got closer. It was just like, oh my gosh, you know, what happened to our son type deal. I looked horrible, I smelled horrible. I was drinking by that point 24 hours a day, and so. Did, uh, what was that moment like for you when you realized, I'm addicted to this? Well, um, from the time that I became addicted to the time I realized I was addicted, there, there was some time in between there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember getting back to college. From the, from the get-go, I knew my behavior was off. 
that I, I literally didn't think it was possible to be a 22-year-old alcoholic. Mm. I, I didn't. Yeah. I had never met one. I'd never heard. I'd never even seen a movie where that happened, anything like that. It was just, you know, I had some family members that had struggled with it. Um, I knew people in our community that had struggled with it, but they were in their 50s. They were in their 60s. Yeah. You know, they died from it at 71 or something like that. And it was like, well, everything else in my life seems to be adding up except this, you know. I literally just thought it was kind of a phase I was in. I kept waiting one morning to wake up and it be different and it be over with. That was really, I think I went to bed confidently a lot of times. My roommates used to always give me a hard time because I would only buy enough alcohol for one day. And I specifically remember thinking like, well, tomorrow's gonna be different. Wow. Mm. And at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., I'd have to go buy the day's alcohol again. I did that for six months. Um, were you thinking you were going to change? Thinking or? I was just going to wake up one day and I'd be—I wouldn't have the shakes, I wouldn't have to withdraw, hmm. I wouldn't have the addiction anymore. So you tell yourself that like tomorrow is going to be different? Absolutely. Yeah, I did Absolutely. the same thing. Yep. I'd go to bed thinking, okay, tomorrow I'll cut down, or yep. I'll only do this, or I'll only do that. It's funny those justifications, those stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. I think that's across the board if you think about it though like how many times do you wake up and you're like today I'll start my diet or tomorrow mm-hmm. I'll start this diet or I'll stop smoking or I'll stop whatever there's so many things in our lives you yep. know stop watching pornography I don't know what it is for people that are listening make tough but phone calls yeah stuff, if yeah. you're not specifically um, you know an alcoholic or an addict we all have things so that we say tomorrow mm-hmm. when I wake up it's gonna be different yep and then we go right back, which is kind of what you shared about where you were. Yeah, no, that's exactly the case. And I mean, you talk about when you realized you were addicted. I mean, honestly, when I when I truly grasped that I was addicted, well, that was my sobriety date. Hmm. I mean, that was when I woke up on December 2nd of 2015. Now, things had gotten significantly worse in that time frame. You know, I had the, the consequences had definitely piled up. I call 2015, you know, kind of my rock bottom year. Um, but a whole know. year. Normal people have like a moment. You had yeah. a whole year. Tell uh, us about 2015. That's a good. Good time. Yeah. Blake was after. 2015 it was rough. Um, yeah, yeah. Good time. Blake. Everything came to a head. It started out a fraternity brother of mine. I always told people I had a commercial real estate job. I, I did not have a commercial real estate job. It was one. It was like George Costanza saying he's an architect. Yeah, Art it Vandelay. was. It was. Uh, it was commission based, so I was making nothing. And so I would, you know, I was importer exporter. Is that what you were? Pretty much. And so I, but I did have an office that there was an, an attorney that was already practicing there. Great guy, um, local guy here, and you know I would come in every day and just start drinking with intentions of, okay, I'm going to study today for my real estate exam. I'm going to study, you know, some cold call, stuff like that. And then by the, you know, oftentimes by two o'clock in the afternoon, I would just, I, I would be slurring my speech. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would say for about three months, I would tell people, you know, I have a commercial real estate position here and there. And one of my fraternity brothers, uh, Mark, he's a great, great guy. He felt bad for me, and he said, well, you're commuting. I had moved home to Hydro, and I was living with my parents. He said, well, you're commuting, you know, 70 miles every day. I've got a bed. Why don't you just come and stay in my, my house here in Edmond? So I said, okay, that sounds like a great deal. 
And I will never forget the, the first night I stayed there with him, he said, hey, you know, some of the guys and I were, were visiting and they had mentioned that you were thinking about maybe trying to slow down your drinking a little bit. And I downplayed it as much as I could. I thought, yeah, you know, I was doing that a little bit last year, but everything, you know, I kind of got a handle on it, this and that. Well, within a week, you know, Mark is coming to me like, hey, there was there was six bottles of wine up here in the cabinet. Like, did you did you take them? Or anything? And it's like, gee, I don't I don't know. I had a glass the other night, but I don't know. Maybe someone wow. else, had, you know. And it was just very quickly. Uh, I think he began to realize. Oh were my god, were you gosh. lying or were they blackouts? Oh, both. both, both. Honestly, I couldn't tell you when I drank what, but I was there were definitely a lot of lies. Um, and I mean, it was. It's a wonder I never hurt anybody. I mean, I would be blacked out at my office, drive across town, and I'd wake up on the couch in our house, and I remember clearly going to the office and opening up the curtains to see if my pickup was out there, seeing if I wrecked it, seeing if I Ubered home. I, I couldn't remember that. Mm. Um, and so I think he very um, quickly started to pick up, I've got an alcoholic for a roommate. And so he kind of looped in my parents and intervened on me more more or less and that was when I went to my first treatment center went to my first treatment center in May of 2015 with just the biggest ego just a bag full of pride Mm. and I thought like my plan was I'm gonna go and I'm gonna blow this thing out of the water I'm gonna obey all the rules I'm gonna be the smartest guy there and when I get out and I never have a drinking problem again everybody's gonna feel like an idiot and they're gonna feel bad that they all teamed up on Blake and tried to make him get sober. And that was my plan. And uh, you I know, bet there's so many people listening that, that it's the same mm-hmm. thought that they had oh, when they just, went into treatment. I was I'll show them. Full of resentment. Oh, I'll show them. I'll work this program in half the uh-huh, time. Uh-huh. Oh, only, tw- only seven steps, what normal people do? I'll do all 12. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Man. And. Uh, that's exactly what I, uh, what I did. I mean, I just remember thinking like, I remember thinking my problem was that people care too much about me. If I was on an island with liquor, I would have no problem. And I don't think normal people think that way. But I went to rehab and graduated through there with flying, with flying colors, but there was a lady, my counselor there told me one time and I don't really we weren't even on the subject she just walked in the room and point blank looked at me one day and she goes Blake you're gonna relapse one day and it's gonna be because of a woman and I laughed at that and I said oh yeah you know thanks for thanks for your input and I graduated the the treatment center and I made it six or seven days maybe right at a week Mm. before I went on a date with a girl Mm. and she ordered a Corona. And I just remember looking at the waiter with such confidence, like, I have no idea why I wouldn't also order one. Mm. It's not like I just got out of rehab or anything. I mean, it just didn't even phase me. And then I just, it's it's funny now, my parents would get a kick out of this, but it was just, you know, my parents are watching this from afar and they're like, you thought it was a good idea to order a beer, you know, type deal? And it was like, yeah, I really did. I actually ordered several. We just sent you to treatment and you're yep. already drinking. <laughs> yep, yep. I didn't see anything wrong with it. And so then I was back off. We always talk so often about how when you, when you relapse, you pick right back up where you left off. And it got even worse. Um, 
I think within a month, that's whenever I had my, you know, my truck accident when I was farming out in hydro, um, where I cut my ear up and everything. I was farming out in Western Oklahoma and um, rolled a semi truck right after I had gotten off the phone. I pulled off in that church parking lot to take a call from my uh, IOP counselor, uh, right? IOP counselor, yeah. He said, hey, Blake, how you doing, man? Are you hanging in there? Still got the same sobriety day? I said, yeah. You know, everything's, you know, it works if you work it. And I'm, I'm just doing great, man. You know, the promises are coming true for me. And he said, that's great. I hung up the phone and I drove less than a mile and I rolled the pickup because um, I was just, I was just wasted. Wow. And um, yeah, so that happened. Mm-hmm. And it was shortly there after that, I had my first exposure to Hope is Alive. Um, you know, I'd gone and gotten stitched up and everything, and my family's like, okay, what do we do? Like, we just sent him to rehab. Um, we've been dealing with this for three years. That didn't work. Now he's, you know, rolling vehicles, driving around intoxicated. And that's when my dad came to me and, you know, he said, hey, I don't know what you're doing on this Friday night, but I saw in the newspaper um, there's this thing going on at Quail Springs Baptist Church called Night of Hope. And I did not know if it was a counseling appointment. I didn't know if it was a concert. Night of Hope counseling appointment. Yeah, I didn't know. (laughs) You know, I wasn't at, I I had lost all of my, it seemed like the longer I drank, one one thing that I had going for me was I took such pride in the fact that I was self-sufficient until I wasn't. And it was like every month I drank, I lost more control and my family kind of gained it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. I wreck a vehicle, okay, well, you know, I, I, I blow all my money, this and that, you know, I have to move back in with you. You sent me to rehab and that didn't work. And so it's like, I didn't have a whole lot of bargaining power. And so I went with them to that, that Night of Hope celebration and it was fantastic. I remember that's where I ran into you first there and probably you somewhere along the way. I, I do remember the only person we talked to was your dad. Oh, that's not surprising. Yep, oh. yep. He came up to us afterwards, had a long conversation with old Wendell. Were you drunk? I wasn't. I was still detoxing. Oh. And I had this horrible-looking ear. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was it was four times the size stitched up and everything. And I remember leaving Night of Hope that night thinking, what a tremendous, inspiring event for somebody that struggles with alcoholism. Wow. <laughs> yep. And just totally blew it off kind of the same thing like that was pointless why'd you drag me to that that's not who i am type deal nothing really resonated or related for you during the entire time you know there was a oh there were emotional periods you know i think specifically about the time um for mothers you know dedicated to mothers oh we did a mother's video that night that's right and we let the mothers tell their stories and it's a really emotional film there it was such a weird scenario to be in full of pride and having all the answers to everything and sitting in between both of your parents who are just bawling because of what Mm. you've done to them and it's like that mix of I've got so much pride I know what I'm doing mixed with I'm also destroying my family and hurting and destroying my own life and the guilt that comes along with that such a weird mix of kind of emotions. Is pride stronger than guilt? Ooh. Um, I think to a degree. I think so. Um, it keeps a lot of people out. I mean, I didn't, you know, get to where I am today until I dropped that. 
until I dropped the pride, um, which is ultimately how I wound up to where I am today. That's a great question. Thank you. Great question. <laughs> philosophical <laughs> well i don't know you it's it's a lot of delusion too you know what i mean like you look at yeah. i think when you're in that place you look at somebody else and you think they're worse than me there's always somebody worse than you right you're yeah. not the worst one. Oh, yeah so why do you need the help or there's a lot of delusional thinking around um you know in a couple years it'll just be over with it'll be a thing in the past i'll get it together when i get yep. the right job or i get the right or i get, find the right woman Yep. Or I have the right, I don't know, perfect scenario, then it will just be behind me. Yeah. I just don't think people change until they're completely desperate enough yeah. for something different. I don't think pride does it. I don't think guilt does it. I think you might tell yourself those stories you just said, and maybe one day this will be better. But I, I think you really don't take a step. It's not even for family or spouse until you're just absolutely desperate for something different. Yeah. And desperate and fearful i mean i just became towards the end i, I became fearful for every area of my life i, I thought i was going to die um you know when i was sitting in that jail cell from that night of hope experience to i got two duis following that and the second one was you know when i got sober on the uh, december 2nd of 2015 sitting in jail and i was you know just flat out scared i didn't mm. know what the legal repercussions was I didn't know how much everything was going to cost me. I knew I was going to have to go back into treatment on my own dollar. Um, I knew I was about to lose my job. I knew everybody was about to find out. And I had done, in my mind, a good job of keeping it a secret. Now, I know that's not true. Um, but it was just, you know, I thought, what in the world have I done to my life? You I've, were desperate, bro. Was very desperate. Man. Very, very desperate. Yep. Paints a dark picture. Let's talk about the hope, though, because, I mean, here you are. How many years clean? Will be um, my dad. Actually, a little shout out to him. He keeps up with. He sends me a text on the second of every month. And oh wow! Has for the last four <laughs> and a half years. That's amazing. And um, so it will be five years, December second of this year. Wow! Yep. One day at a time. One day at a time. No yep. fronts. No fronts. Yeah. No. But you're on your way there. Yep. I think that just in in and of itself is a lot of hope for a lot of people that are listening today, whether this sounds like your son or your daughter and, and you can't seem to get them to break through and you've brought them to events and you've tried to make them watch a Hope is a Live video or you've sent them to a dozen different treatment centers. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of times we just have to take our hands off the wheel and, and trust God and, and pray that mother's prayer that he would take them to that place where they have no other um, solution, no other idea but then to get hope they're that desperate and sometimes that's i call it the mother's prayers that god do what only you can do mm -hmm. with safety to bring them to a place of rock bottom and desperation and that's really what happened from what i'm hearing from you oh absolutely absolutely and you know i think my family had gotten to the place where it was just you know praying they were they were desperate too you know yeah. praying mm -hmm. god you know, do what only you can do. Keep him safe if you can. If you can. But my dad talks about even praying. If you can't keep him safe, please don't let him hurt somebody else. Yeah. You know, take him, but don't don't take anybody else. Man. And very 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 desperate. And I remember praying there in the in the jail cell. You know, I call it my Forrest Gump moment. You know, when he's running through the desert for three years and six months and fourteen days, and he just decides, okay. 
I think I'm I think I'm done. I think I'm gonna go home now. That was kind of what it was like for me. Um, I just remember sitting there, laying in bed, and I was with about six other guys in a in a cell, you know, a pretty small cell in, in Kingfisher, Oklahoma. And there was a little crack in the window, and there was raining outside. And every time the wind would blow, some water would come hit my face. And I just remember thinking, I'm done. Like I just kept saying that almost, I think, aloud over and over again. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Wow. And I didn't know the issue was I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I knew I was going to do whatever it took. And so saying, I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And praying to God and telling him I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And, you know, the next morning came and my dad picked me up and we drove all the way home. And I don't think we, we said a single word to each other. And. I was careful about what I had said because who am I at that point to say, oh, yeah, I'm done for good. Yeah. You know, no one's going to believe me. Nobody believed me. And so we we called, you know, that next day was very busy. You, We went and picked up all my business cards that I had handed out, you know, the previous month and um, called an attorney and went and went to uh, take out a loan to go to a 90-day treatment facility that didn't accept insurance. And so... Um, it was a very humbling day, but there was kind of a two-week waiting period there um, from the time that, you know, that morning he came and picked me up to when I could get into treatment. Of course, my family's watched me like a hawk. They had my keys. They had my <laughs> wallet. You're not getting out of there, so No, I had to have permission to go buy a Gatorade at 7-Eleven. And, you know, I, I didn't push back at that at all. Like, I understood I had done that to myself, but I knew that I was done. And I remember, you know, transitioning obviously into treatment. Um, and it kind of paints the picture too. I always remember I entered into rehab on December 22nd of 2015. And that day before we had to, uh, we were gonna take family photos and have our family Christmas. And we had to bump it up to accommodate Blake because Blake was going to rehab. Mm. And it makes for a good old wholesome Christmas. Yep, and and just to reiterate the point that you made earlier, how quickly people forget, I remember on that about 14th or 15th day right before I went into rehab, having that family Christmas, and it felt semi-normal. I was feeling better. I wasn't withdrawing anymore. I was looking better. People were kind of joking. We were enjoying the time, but the only thing bizarre about it was tomorrow, Blake left for 90 days to go to rehab. Mm. And... Um, did it anyways and went and I think the third or fourth night you know I was there was when you walked in with friends you know Colin and Zach and mm-hmm. um, I recognized the logo on the shirts that and I recognize you you're well, thank you. a very recognizable person that. if you didn't know that and Zach and you know I, I had I remember Zach coming up to me and him saying you know what are you doing here and it was like what are you doing here and you know having that moment where it was like oh there's other 23 year old 22 year old alcoholics wow on the planet and knowing well if they did it i can do it and so a lot of people went through treatment not knowing what the next step was i called my parents that night and said hey i think i'd like to go to this hope is alive place would you? Uh, would that be okay with you? Of course, my parents are like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not going to push back when your alcoholic son calls you and says, "Do you care if I go live in an extremely intentional program that's Christ-based that'll help keep me sober and 
surrounded in constant community, you, you tend to let them. <laughs> and um, I did that and haven't looked back since. What's your favorite memory living at the Hope is Alive oh program? Um, honestly. Probably eating those chili peppers. I was talking about that last <laughs> night. Yeah. Having to, uh, yeah. We were at dinner and I was uh, sitting across and telling somebody that I had eaten the hottest pepper in the world. And they were like, oh my gosh, did you want to do that? I was like, no, I actually didn't. Uh, everybody else in my house was doing it. Peer pressure at yeah, its finest. Yeah, it was, I'm glad that I did. It was like a spiritual experience without <laughs> God. It was horrible. No, that's not allowed anymore in our homes. Just a disclaimer. It should Hope is alive. Yeah, no, it's it's a liability. That's not <laughs> brutal. Um, that's definitely one of them. Um, you know, a lot of memories of just going to different Hope is Alive stuff. I mean, that's what the program has, everything about HIA has changed so much. And, you know, I, not only the size of it, but I remember that very first, within a month of me moving in, Lance was celebrating five years sober. Mm-hmm. And I went over to um, Dub at the time, the, the only women's home that we had. Yeah, we, had, we called it Dub is yeah, W. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Had, we had five homes, and I was told that all the residents were going to be there, mm-hmm. and there couldn't have been more than 40, you know, yep. and so. Well, they all fit in the living room. They, yeah, they did. did, and there were other people, like our board of directors were right. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were very we sweet fit. to put that together, Alan. Yeah, Blake yeah. stood up and I think said something he did. about That's you. Just kind of got I thought we, yeah, I think at the time I thought, yeah, we were all supposed to, and it was like I've only met this guy once, but thanks for letting me move into your home. And so I think yeah, he was, said, Lance, you're going to be my future best friend. <laughs> did yeah. I say that? I may have said that. <laughs> I don't think he said. That. <laughs> Lance is a good time, Brett Blake wheeling over here, and I wanted to say. Thanks. No, yeah. I don't know what it is, but. No, but I, I look back at that, and I think that was a, a pivotal moment. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to see you, you know, get five years, who I didn't really know well at the time, being able to get, you know, see Colin there, thanking you for helping him get to two years, mm-hmm. which was astronomical to me at the time, and seeing everybody around. And, you know, it's what, what we talk about all the time. You just... Um, you want to be you, you see those people around you that have something you want and it's like well I wanted that you know mm-hmm. yeah and uh, people always it was always funny while I was living at HIA uh, you know my program manager and different people would come up and periodically say you know hey we really want you to stay you know stay in finish strong I, I never was about to leave there was never a point where it was like I'm done I'm going to go look for leases I, I, finishing was the only option, really. I just, I never, I didn't come in with an exit plan. I only came in with an entrance plan, and mm-hmm. I just kind of got there and unpacked my bag a little bit. What a word for people listening anywhere yeah. in any area of your life. I mean, just be a finisher. Yep. Just complete the, the job. Uh, finish the task. Yep. Don't come in with an exit plan of how you're going to get out of something early, only with the entrance of how you're going to get in there and do your very best. And I think, you know, God's blessed you because you came in with that attitude and you worked your tail off and you did everything to excellence and you you were at everything that we were at. And I'm sure you, you're not 100% you know, Puritan. I'm sure you had some thoughts every now and again, but you didn't show a lot of it. Yeah. And you showed up and you set the tone and anytime you were asked to do anything, you said yes. And, and you graduated as one of the best graduations we ever had. 
Remember the song that he, <laughs> he chose for his song? I think we actually chose Rhinestone the song. Cowboy. Yeah, Rhinestone yeah. Cowboy. Beautiful. Hold on a second now. What rule did you break? Oh, that's a great question. At Hope is Alive. Um, you know, Everybody there breaks was, a few. Well, yeah. let me kind of preface it with this way. No. Like, if, if the program back then was like, if the program now is 10 out of 10, it was probably... You know, seven out of ten. We've just grown and evolved so much, much yeah. thanks to you, Allie, and changing Thank the you. program. And so, I don't want to give people the false assumption that I did all the tough work that residents today do, because there's a lot more. But, but you have done it since. With that, I have done it since. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what rule did I break? Mm-hmm. You know, there was a. I can't wait to hear this. I know. There was one time. Uh, Zach will get a kick out of this. For whatever reason, my house managers came to me, and it was like there was a there was kind of a prank war going on. I lived at HQ, which was the original house, and then H three was you know as the crow flies, you know, four hundred yards away, and so the guys would come over and do some stuff, you know, put Dawn dish soap in the hot tub and stuff like that, and then we would go retaliate, and. The interesting thing was, though, it was like, here I am, here I am a resident, and our house managers would come, and it was like, we got to go get those guys back. And it's like, <laughs> are you sure? Like, it's, it's 1130 at night. And um, I remember one time going over to, to H3 to help with the, uh, the saran wrapping of a vehicle, knowing Ooh. it was after. Right, you know, you justified it. It's like, well, my house managers are, That's right. are with us. And I, th- I didn't think I was breaking a rule because I just watched. I didn't actually mm-hmm. do anything, you know. Um, Just a good old Western Oklahoma guy right there. I don't think he really broke one after all. No, I'm pretty sure there's some more. He's just not telling us. I probably us. did. I'm yeah. just trying to think of him. Curfew? Oh, well, yeah. Okay, okay. I Yeah, I was... Yeah. I did my... I, I, I would be a liar if I said I didn't buddy up probably a little bit with my... Like my, you know, Tyler Barnes, my house manager at the time, and... It was like, okay, going to be five minutes late. And he's like, no worries. And it's like, all right, going to be an hour late, maybe next time. And But he was pretty good about looping it back in. But no, Lance is right. I was kind of a model resident. <laughs> no. Other than that, yeah. Remember that trip he went on like when he first moved in? I had permission for that. That's I could, ridiculous. I couldn't, yeah, that would not fly today. No. I was in my first 30 days, and I text Lance and my program manager and said, hey, my buddy's getting married. Yeah. First mistake, don't text me because I always say yes. Yeah. And uh, I said, that's why that ride has been taken from you. Yes. <laughs> I said, hey, a good fraternity brother of mine is oh. getting married in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Oh, I I'd, would have said. I'd like to go up there for three days. And it was, yeah, sure. Don't drink. Real quick, we're going to wrap it up. I want to hear rapid fire like you're talking to somebody early in the program early in their program anywhere in the world three big tips that's helped you get to five years and do it in in such a graceful way um well i i think kind of going back to staying in the center of things you know if you if you get involved in something stay there with the mindset of you know the no exit plan um, stay in the center of something so it's not easy to fall off of the edge of it. That way you can weather life storms that throw at you, you know, and um, you can kind of handle the pitches as they come that life will throw at you. Um, they're just, you know, today I don't use drugs and alcohol. I stay in the middle of a program. I lean on people like both of you. And so doing that, um, 
sticking, you know, clinging to the vine, like we say at all of our all of our graduations, um, staying connected there, um, coming back, You're talking spiritually, talking spiritually, yeah, staying plugged into, you know, the same church that I've been involved in for the last four years, the same people that I, you know, bounce my faith questions off of, um, around people that can encourage you, but also challenge you and mm-hmm. push you. If you're not around people that are going to challenge you, you're not growing. Um, you want to constantly be growing, I think, and, and just kind of stay in that uncomfortability where the growth happens. So that's another one. Um, last one. Last one. Yeah, stay away from women until you're healthy. There you um, go. That was a big one that I, I do remember this. Um getting moving directly into the hope is alive program and having a girlfriend and yeah my 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 program manager telling me we went to sonic together and he said you need to you're going to need to break up with her Mm -hmm. and i said okay so i (laughs) i thought i would go to my sponsor and get a second opinion and he said you can have a girlfriend in your first year of sobriety you just be the only guy in 30 years that i've known that stayed sober doing it and I thought, you had a great sponsor early uh, Okay, I, uh, so I went and I, I broke up with her. And uh, that was, I, I really stayed away from women for the first year. Maybe even the first like 14 months or so. I yeah. promise. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. I really you did. You heard it here, people, hot off the press. I do have one last question for you, Blake. Okay. You talked about, you talked about, you know, kind of the insecurities being brought to the forefront at the start of your drinking, Mm -hmm. right? When Mm -hmm. you moved to Stillwater. Now, as somebody who's coming up on five years sober, you obviously still have insecurities today. How do you deal with those now without choosing to drink or use around them? Trying every day, starting over and finding my identity in God. Um, And literally, I mean, I don't know about people listening but i'd venture to say no one wakes up just naturally oh i'm gonna be a phenomenal person and do the right thing it's like my natural thing when i get up in the morning you know you have sinful thoughts and you've you've got to shut those down it's like you've got a devil on one shoulder and god on the other and you've got to choose every morning to kind of flick what satan is putting Mm -hmm. in your ear off find your identity in god and who he says that i am um and also back to the uncomfortability thing. I mean, a lot of my insecurities I have combated with getting up and doing things. I used to be horrified to public speak. I fixed that by public speaking. Yeah. You know, I used to be a terrible writer. I think I fixed that by writing a lot with this job. You know, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, just practice makes perfect. And kind of working on those things, forcing yourself into that uncomfortability. But mm-hmm. insecurities always come up. Um, you're not odd if you have insecurities. You're odd if you, you say you don't have any. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, staying around your positive influences and just, you know, finding your identity in God, I think. Thanks for telling us your story. And Thanks for having so me. open and vulnerable. Uh, Blake is the director of development at Hope is Alive, and that means he oversees all of our relationships with our donors and and the folks that uh, give us grants and foundations and different people and places and organizations all across the United States. So if you're interested in supporting Hope is Alive financially, he's your guy. Mm-hmm. Blake at hopeisalive.net is how you can connect with him. What an incredible story. And as you can tell, um, it's pretty obvious why he is our number one ambassador because he is an incredible success story and just a great guy. 
Well, and thank, we love you. Thank you both for the opportunity and all that you guys have done. I'm here because of both of you and investing in me and still to this day. That's why I continue to stay sober. You're, you're pillars for me. So thank you. Love you. But mainly me, right? Yeah. He- heavy on Lance, I would say. I'm just kidding. That's about right. No. Um, Blake, uh, we're going to have a discussion after this about a new curfew enacted for you, <laughs> as well as, you know, continuing. Blake has almost completed the new Hope is Live program, so we just got to get him across the finish line, yeah. you know? Almost but there. I will tell you that, um, you know, Blake is just one of those guys you can talk to about a lot of things. So if uh, you're out there and uh, something is spoken to you today, reach out to Blake. He is a support for Lance and I as well, and we value him tremendously. So thanks for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. I know it's given a lot of people hope, and that's what this is all about. So remember, thanks for tuning in, but remember this, God is love. Change is possible, and hope is alive. See you next time.